Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Well, we discovered last week that of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke tell us about the birth of Jesus. The other two don't start there, they start elsewhere. Also last week we discovered that Matthew begins his Gospel account with the lineage of Jesus, a genealogy, which might sound a little boring until you stop a little bit and start to look into that genealogy and realize there's some things going on in that. Matthew begins by going all the way back to Abraham. That's important because uh, it's important that Jesus be associated with Abraham because Jewish people want to know that their Messiah is Jewish and connecting him to Abraham would do that. It's, it's, his secondary goal was to demonstrate that Jesus was related to King David because if there was going to be a Messiah, the Messiah had to be related to King David. So Matthew begins the Christmas story with a genealogy. But as we discovered last week, he doesn't stick with the script. In fact, he goes pretty much off of script. And it looks like he goes out of his way to highlight and italicize some people in the genealogy that you and I might be tempted to just go right on past. He includes four women, three of whom are not even Jewish, two of whom have stories that you probably would not want to be included in any lineage of Jesus. You would want to gloss over those. He pauses momentarily and draws our attention to uh, David and Bathsheba. And, and, uh, you know, that's another story that you think, well, I mean, I know it's in the Bible, but I don't know that that's something that I really want to think about when I'm thinking about the lineage of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is our Savior. And that might be a story that we would want to gloss over. It's as if he went out of his way to emphasize the fact that in Jesus' lineage, there are some R-rated, kind of creepy, kind of um, interesting characters. And you ask yourself the question, why would he do that? See, if you were trying to make the point that the person you're talking about is from God, that he is the Son of God, the Son of Man, that He is Jesus, God's Son, you would want to build a pretty rock-solid case. But Matthew goes out of his way to underscore the fact that not everybody related to Jesus is very divine or holy or righteous at all. A couple of reasons for that. You ask yourself, why would he do that? A couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, they were a part of the story. But more importantly than that, there is a point to what Matthew was trying to do. Matthew was about to unfold the story the teaching the life and the death and the resurrection of jesus and as a person with a past himself it was very evident that he wanted his audience to understand the nature of the message at hand and here's the the point of the message that up until this time every religion even in judaism anytime religious people began to act religious and anytime people think about approaching god it was always on the 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 uh idea that they had been worthy of it that they had performed well enough that they'd been good enough that that my standing with god pretty much was based on the things that i've done or the things that i haven't done consequently there were some pretty self-righteous people they feel like they can come to god and they can ask god to bless their crops they feel like they can come to god and ask god to bless their families and because they've behaved well then god would respond in kind and and do the things that they wanted him to do that that was the idea that they would be good people and therefore god would be good to them simply based on the fact here i am look at me look at what i've done and we said last week that this is pretty much called self-righteousness that my personal righteousness is enough to get god's attention and matthew had grown up around that kind of environment and that kind of attitude 
He understood as a former tax collector that he would never make the cut with God, that he would never be good enough. In fact, he was considered unclean to the point that he, he couldn't even go to the temple to worship. And, and it was really coming down to his own personal self-righteousness, and he realized that he didn't measure up. The other problem was that there are people who feel like they don't have any self-righteousness. They're sinners, and they've done things, and they have a past, and they've got shameful things that they're trying to get over and trying to forget. And, and that probably describes all of us in the room this morning, that we, we all probably have that thing or several things that we would say, you know, I wish I could get over that, or I wish I could make that go away, or I wish that wasn't a part of my story. The problem is, as long as a person thinks that the only way they can come to God is through their own good behavior, then consequently they will think that they can have nothing to do with God. That's why a lot of people are not in church this morning. They feel like they're not good enough to go to church. That's not the case, but that's what they think because that's the way people have thought for many, many generations. And that was Matthew's story, and he understood that the story and the teachings of Jesus revealed a whole new way of thinking. It was a brand new uh, idea in the sense that it had been lost in all the law and all the standards and all the things that every religion brought to the table. Matthew understood that the teaching of Jesus was very, very different. That when it comes to Jesus, suddenly mankind has access to God. Not based on what they had done or had not done, but based on what had been done on their behalf. This was a brand new way of looking at things. It was a brand new way of thinking it's a brand new approach to God. And so Matthew knew that the story that he was about to tell was different. That in addition to telling them about Jesus and the fact that he was related to King David, he went out of his way to make sure that his audience knew that he was related, Jesus was related to sinners. And not just any sinners. Sinners that could win sinning awards. If they gave away Grammys for sinners, some of Jesus' relatives would have been candidates to win some of those awards. So maybe with a grin on his face and a gleam in his eye, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus. And again, he goes out of his way to underscore some of the characters that belonged in Jesus' lineage. We pick up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it was so important that everybody understood that Jesus was connected to both Abraham and David. So he's making this lineage to kind of point that out. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. And this is where it gets really interesting because here is where the Jewish reader is going to have to pause as Matthew reminds the Jewish reader of stories that those of us who aren't familiar with the Old Testament probably would be tempted to go right on by. But if you were Jewish and you heard this lineage, when he says Judah and his brothers, you would stop and go, oh, did he really go there? Is he really going to talk about Judah and his brothers? Now, if I were to ask you to turn to the person next to you and share what you know about Judah, I have a feeling that would be a pretty brief conversation. I have a feeling that you probably wouldn't know a whole lot about Judah because that's, he's really got one chapter of the Bible dedicated to him, and I don't think that's somebody that you wake up every morning to study. And I think if I said, hey, just take a few minutes and tell your neighbor about Judah, you would go, don't really know a whole lot about Judah. How about you? And they would say, no, I really don't know a whole lot about Judah either, and the conversation would be over. However, if I asked you to talk about a brother of Judah's that was fairly famous and I told you who it was, you would say, well, I know quite a bit about him, especially 
since I just preached on this guy about three weeks ago, and since I know you take great notes and I know you pay attention, I know you would be able to talk for a long time about one of Judah's brothers. Judah had a very famous brother. In fact, when Matthew says Judah and his brothers, he's referring to the fact that Judah had 11 brothers. In fact, it was 11 brothers plus Judah. That makes 12. So these men eventually become the foundation for the 12 tribes of Israel. They are um, fathered by Jacob, who would later be renamed Israel. That's where we get the, the name Israel. So, so in Matthew's genealogy, he hits his first bump in the road, his first, oh, no, you know, his first, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're going to talk about that kind of thing. It's Judah and his brothers. Now, Judah's famous brother was Joseph. Like I said, we just did a series on Joseph, and, and you may not even be a Bible person, but, and you may not have gone to church your whole life, but chances are good that somewhere you've heard the story about Joseph and his coat of many colors. Um, you know the fact that his brothers were jealous and his brothers decided to get rid of him because they were so jealous and most people know something about the story of Joseph not many people know the story of Judah and yet as we read the genealogy that leads to Jesus Joseph isn't mentioned instead it's Judah and his brothers and if you know the story of Joseph and you compare it to the story of Judah that I'm about to tell you, and you were, to, you, know, you were God and you were going to choose from Joseph and all of his brothers, or if you're just going to choose between Joseph and Judah, you would have probably chosen Joseph. Because everything about Joseph is, is absolutely remarkable. He was an extraordinary man of character. He had incredible discipline. He was persecuted. He was punished. He is treated unjustly. He does things for the people that treat him unjustly that you wouldn't expect him to do. He's very good to people. And at the end of Joseph's story, he becomes a savior of his family and of his dad and of Pharaoh and of Egypt and of the Egyptians. And, and what you find as you start to look at the Old Testament and the story of Joseph is he is the perfect Old Testament picture of Jesus. If, if, if there was a boy to pick through whom the Messiah would come, you would probably say Joseph would be perfect for Jesus to come through his line. There are so many parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And, he, and he looks, God looks down and he says, hmm, I've got to pick one of those 12. I think I'll pick Judah. And we hear that and we go, man, that doesn't make sense to me. But see, that is the whole point of the gospel that is really the point of the story the story of judah picks up if you have your bible with you this morning turn to genesis chapter 37 judah is essentially a footnote in the life of his younger brother joseph joseph uh genesis 37 verse 23 is where we'll pick up this morning here's how the story of judah begins the, the story let's set it up judah and his brothers are very jealous of joseph and joseph is jacob's favorite son and jacob sends joseph out He's made him this ornamental coat. It's made of many beautiful colors, and he's given this coat to Joseph to commemorate and mark his, his love for his son. And, and um, he sends him out to his brothers in the field. And Judah and his brothers look up, and they see Joseph coming, and they say, hey, here comes our younger brother Joseph. We pick up verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal. And at that point you go, huh? 
You throw your brother into a cistern, into this well with no water in it, and he can't get out, and you sit down to have lunch. They sit down to eat together, and they're going to try and figure out, okay, what do we do with our brother? The Bible goes on. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So here are these traders. They're making their way from Gilead to Egypt. They've got some things, that, some wares that they're going to trade, probably have some slaves they're going to try and, and sell. And, and they, they come up on these, you know, this, this brother, these brothers of Judah. And that's where they get introduced to Judah. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? And guys, I've been thinking as they're eating lunch. If we just kill him, we're not going to profit from that. So, if we're not going to gain anything, guys, I've been thinking, I think we should sell him because if we sell him, we get rid of him and we profit by it too. And apparently Judah was the leader among his brothers. He wasn't necessarily the oldest. Reuben was the oldest. So we know that God didn't just choose the oldest brother all the time. He wasn't the oldest. He was the influencer. He was the leader. Verse 27, Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. And here you get just a little blip of mercy out of Judah and his brothers. Oh yeah, he is our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. You can just see they're overcome with mercy. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and the brothers agree. Now, this is pretty amazing. This is Judah from whom our Savior eventually comes. This is Judah who says, let's not kill him, let's profit by selling him into slavery. So they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. They load him up, probably chain him up to some other slaves. They march him off to Egypt. And from Judah's perspective, he will never see his brother again. He's done. You're not going to have to worry about him. He's not going to have to see that silly coat anymore. They split up the coins among the brothers that they probably got for Joseph. And Joseph is sent off at the age of 16 or 17 years old to Egypt, they think, never to be seen again. And they take the fancy coat and they dip it in some blood of an animal. They go to their dad and they say, Dad, we found Joseph's coat and we think that an animal overtook him and we couldn't even find a body. All we could find is this bloody coat that you gave Joseph and... Um, this is all that's left of your beloved son. And they, they broke his heart and chose to live with the secret. And before long, all the money from the sale is gone, but the memory is not. And the guilt is not. And they are forced to live with the knowledge that they sold their brother into slavery. In fact, for the next 20 years, every time they gather with their father, there is an empty chair at the table. That would have been Joseph's chair. Every time it's Joseph's birthday comes around, the mother, mother and father mourn the loss of their son Joseph that they love so much. And Judah knows and he never cracks and he never confesses and, he, never, and he, he mourns with the rest of the family. But he never tells the truth about what happened to Joseph when he knows in his heart that he is ultimately responsible for having sold his, his brother into slavery. Because he is the influencer. He was the leader. He was the one that could have changed Joseph's fate. And now you read through the book of Genesis, and you read the story of Joseph, and immediately you, you find out that what happens to Joseph is pretty interesting. He goes on to Egypt, 
And, 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 you know, Joseph's story is a pretty long story. In fact, it's one of the longest stories about an individual in the whole Old Testament. And then there's the story of Judah, and it basically boils down to one chapter. But in the one chapter about Judah's life, we discover once again what an interesting and creepy person he is because his story kind of goes from interesting to creepy pretty quick here's what happens joseph is gone judah decides that he is going to get on with his life he is he is a shepherd and he shares this little town with his brothers and eventually he gets married he has a bunch of kids the first three kids that he has are are all male and he the oldest son he marries off to a woman named tamar the, the second son gets married, and then the third son isn't old enough to get married yet. Uh, the Bible tells us that the, the, the first son passes away. The second son, the Bible says, does evil in the sight of the Lord, and he dies. We're not really told what that is, but, but he's gone. And so now Tamar is a widow, and the, the third oldest in line, who would be next in line to marry Tamar, um, he's not old enough to be married yet. And so Judah, who is grieved, I'm sure, he goes to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and in accordance with tradition says, look, I, I, I will one day marry you off to my third oldest son, um, but he's not ready yet, so I'm going to take care of you. I know it's my responsibility. Um, when my son's old enough, I'm going to marry him off, but, but in the meantime, I'll take care of you, I'll cover you, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you. And in the meantime, you just need to, to grieve as the brokenhearted widow, and that gives me the opportunity to, to take care and oversee and look after you. And, and, and so let's just do it that way. So she begins the grieving process, and she waits for this older son to grow up so that she can marry him, so that she can have someone who can provide for her and take care of her. Because if that's not going to be the case, more than likely she's going to fall into a life of poverty. She's going to fall into a, a very undesirable life um, with some pretty treacherous things in her future and um, that's just not what you want. And so time goes on, and once again, uh, consistent with Judah's character, he forgets all about Tamar, and he forgets about marrying her off to his third oldest son. And, and, and you know, these are probably not a large city that he's living in, not anything like what we're used to. So you have to think that from time to time, he's running into, he's coming into contact with Tamar from time to time. He sees her and should be reminded, hey, I should be, taking care of her but he's he's really not time goes by apparently years go by and she is becoming someone who cannot provide for herself she's becoming vulnerable and she decides to take matters into her own hands here's what she does tamar dresses up as a temple prostitute and disguises herself and, and she covers her face and she sits by the gate because judah is a man of great importance and he would be sitting by that gate and he would watch the people come and go every day. And as one of the fathers of the town, probably sat in judgment when there were disputes. A lot of times they would take those to the city gate and, and they would kind of oversee the city, the, 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 the business of the town uh, right there at the gate. And so he sees her one day and somehow they strike up a conversation and uh, he does not recognize her, which kind of tells you something about how much contact he's had with Tamar. He, probably has not done what he said he was going to do and has, has been lax in his responsibility. Um, and this is the woman that he's promised to protect and, and to marry off to his third oldest son, and, and it's just not happened. And he decides that he's going to hire her as a, as a prostitute, and they decide that the payment would be a goat. Apparently that's the going rate for that service in that time, was, was, would be a goat. And 
he looked in his wallet and he didn't have a goat so he can't pay her that was funny i don't care who you are that's funny <laughs> so they they he, he says I, I don't have a goat to give you but i'll 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 agree to give you a goat. And so they go someplace dark where, where they're going to do this thing, and, and he does not recognize her. And after their time together, <clears throat> he doesn't have the goat, and he says, look, I'll send you the goat. And, and she says, well, as a pledge, I want two things from you as a pledge. First of all, I want your signet ring. I, they would, he would have worn a ring either on his finger or more likely around his neck on some kind of chain or rope, or twine, or something. But this ring would have been the thing that he would sign important uh, documents with, or he, I don't know how they would do that, but he would use that to make his mark. That was the way to identify him. It was a part of his identity. It was really important to the males to have this, this thing that you could mark things with. And, and so she said, you know, I want that. I want your seal, and I want your staff, which would have been uh, symbolic of his power and of his of his authority and she said I, I want your 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 identity and I want your authority basically I want your your signet ring your seal and I want your your rod or your staff and, and these two things were very important but what could he do he, he, he owed her a goat and he didn't have a goat and so he says okay I'll give you my seal and I'll give you my staff then she leaves and he goes home and he he finds a servant and he says listen um, I met this temple prostitute and I owe her a goat don't ask but I need you to track her down and I need you to, to make sure that she gets this goat and I need you to get those things back for me and I want you to find her. Now it's at this point that you're thinking in the story, you're thinking, this is not a real Christmassy story. This is not the kind of thing when we think about the baby in a manger and you know, we're not thinking about Tamar and Judah and this thing that they've done and paying for it with goats and you know, signet rings. We're not thinking about all that stuff. This just Where's all this coming from? It's not Christmassy. But Matthew, this is where he centers us. So the servant takes the goat, and he can't find this temple prostitute anywhere. He's looking around, and all the men, you know, he's talking to the men at the gate, and they're saying, look, there's nobody here like that. You know, that, I don't know who you're talking about, but there's, we haven't seen anybody like that. And so he's looking around, and he goes back, and he says, Judah, I can't find her anywhere. And this is going to be a little embarrassing for Judah. He's, he doesn't want to go down to the temple gate and talk to the fellows and say, hey, guys, you know, if you, you know, I gave this girl my, my seal and my staff, and I haven't seen her. He don't want to have that conversation, so he decides to just let the whole thing go on by. Three months later, somebody comes running up, knocking on Judah's door, and he says, "Hey, Judah, Judah, did you know that your daughter-in-law? Um, you're not going to believe this. Your ex-daughter-in-law Tamar has, and the, the words that the Bible uses is she has played the harlot." And Tamar, she's pregnant, and she's never been married. And it's at that point you're going, oh, my goodness. And then Judah does what every person does who has a secret who is pretending to be something they're not. Judah gets real self-righteous. You ever met someone who was really self-righteous only to discover that they have a secret? You ever heard somebody hammer and hammer and hammer the same issue only to find that they have an issue with the issue? That's human nature. 
Did you know that if you are an unbroken person, if you have a secret, if you have a point of shame, and nobody knows that point of shame but you, that sometimes it manifests itself in this ugly self-righteousness. Whenever I encounter someone who is utterly self-righteous, there's something deep within me that has a great lack of trust for those kinds of people. I've all too often seen people who were very, very self-righteous and very full of themselves come to ruin because of some secret that they had rather than to just say, you know what, I'm just like everybody else and I have issues just like everybody else. You know what Judah does? Judah says, my daughter-in-law has shamed my family. She must be burned alive. And it's at that point that you just want to go, Whoa, 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 Judah, 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 Judah. Aren't you the same guy that sold your brother into slavery? And aren't you the same guy that broke your dad's heart? And aren't you the same guy that has a secret that nobody you want, you want anybody to know about? Isn't this the same Judah that promised to take care of his daughter-in-law and broke the promise and forced her into poverty and to live a life of shame? Isn't this the same Judah who has not done what he said he would do? And Judah says, she must be burned alive because she has shamed my family. And he gets community support, and they're going to burn Tamar alive. And, of course, Tamar has something that belongs to Judah, doesn't she? Here's what the Scripture says. It's kind of funny. It says that the day that Tamar was to be burned alive, she gets a messenger, and she sends the messenger to Judah and here's what the messenger says. He, he comes to Judah, and he's holding this seal in one hand, probably on a chain or a rope of some kind, and he's got this staff in the other. And he says, Judah, Judah, Tamar wanted me to give you a message. The message is, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. Judah, do you know what she's talking about? Does this make any sense to you? Because it's not, I don't understand, Judah. And it's at that point that Judah said, oh, we're not going to do this today. You know, we're, we're not going to, let's don't have a fire. Let's, let's, um, let's call this whole thing off. There's nothing to see here. You all need to go home. Um, I, I just don't think we need to do this to Tamar today. And then the Bible says that he goes to Tamar, he falls on his knees, and he says, Tamar, you are far more righteous than me because I did not do what I said I would do. You are a far more righteous person than me. And Tamar gives birth to a little boy, and the little boy's name is Perez, and he is in the genealogy of Jesus. And you think, Matthew, couldn't you have skipped over that? I mean, did you have to go there with Judah and the brothers? I mean, that kind of messes up the whole thing. Now we've got this kid that probably should never have been born, and he's a part of the lineage of Jesus? And the daughter-in-law and the father-in-law, and... And he left out some names in the genealogy. He could have put in, and he puts in names that you think probably would have been better to have left those names out. And then he mentions Tamar by name. 
And it's like he's saying, I don't want anybody to run past this too quickly. I don't want anybody to go past this. I want you to stop down, and I want you to think about who are the names in this list. This isn't the kind of thing that you make a whole lot of if you've got these kind of names in your genealogy. This is the kind of thing you want to bury. This is the kind of thing you want, you want people to just walk on by. You don't want anybody to discover this. And that is the point of the Christmas story. Well, the story's not over for Judah because about 20 years after he thinks he'll never see Joseph, his brother, again, there's a famine in the land, and it's bad. And this is probably the part of the story that you remember either from Sunday school or from some wonderful sermons that you heard about a month ago about the story of Joseph. And Jacob calls all of his sons together, and he says, look, you've got to go to Egypt to buy grain. If you don't, we're going to starve. And and Judah is kind of the leader. Reuben's the oldest, but... Um, they go to Egypt to buy grain, and, and guess who's in charge when they get to Egypt to, to buy this grain? Joseph's in charge. He leaves, he gets sent away by his brothers when he's about 16 or 17, sold into slavery, but he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He's now in his 30s. And the last time they saw him, he's a teenager. They come up on him, they don't see him. Joseph now dresses like an Egyptian, he talks like an Egyptian. What's the next line? walks like an Egyptian yeah. see you'll hear the bangles now and, and you'll never forget Joseph you'll hear that and you'll think of Joseph anybody want to do the dance should we get up and do the dance so they don't recognize him but he recognizes these Hebrew boys and he says hey that's my brothers so he talks to them a little bit and he taunts them kind of like you've done to me this morning He sets them up and he says, you know, I'm trying to decide if these guys can be trusted. I'm trying to decide if they've changed. I'm trying to decide if there's anything different about them. And the Bible says that in some cases he was so overwhelmed that he had to leave their presence and he would go off and he would cry. He was so moved by seeing his brothers and this was all very emotional for him. And they have no idea. They're saying, why is this prime minister of Egypt so interested in us? Why does he continue to want to see us? And they go back to their father and they say, Dad, something weird's going on with this prime minister. He's he's talking to us an awful lot, and now he wants us to bring Benjamin back. uh, Jacob hears that and says, No, no, you're not taking Benjamin. I I lost one son. I'm not losing my youngest son. You're not taking Benjamin. They say, Dad, he's not going to sell us grain unless we take Benjamin. Eventually, they're all in the room. All the brothers are back in the room in Egypt with their brother Joseph who is the prime minister and has all this power and then Joseph sends everybody out of the room except his brothers and he looks at him and he says it's me it's Joseph your brother and this is probably one of the most dramatic scenes in all of literature when you really read the whole story I'm Joseph your brother And there on his face, probably flat out on the ground, is Judah. And Judah's thinking, what would I do if these roles were reversed? What would I do to the man who had sold me into slavery? Thinking that that would be the end of me. And now I had the power to take his life. What would I do? And Judah knows what he would do because Judah knows his character. 
And he knew his capacity for self-centeredness. He'd never confessed. He'd never broken. He had never allowed the other boys to tell the truth about what had happened to his brother Joseph. And there he is on his face before the man who has power of life and death over him. And Joseph says, get up. I forgive you. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of your family. And go get dad and bring dad. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that you're, you're taken care of for generations. You'll have herds. You'll have everything you need. And then later Joseph says, I think God put me here. I think God used your evil and put me here. And here's where we get this word in Genesis. 3,500 years before we see it again with Jesus, this word that, that you have to wait a long time to see in the New Testament, I believe God put me here to save many. I'll save your life. I'll save the family. I'll save dad. I'll save Egypt. I'll save Pharaoh. Joseph is the picture in the Old Testament of a Savior. And God looks down and says, I think I'll skip over the Savior and I'm going to go with the liar and the thief. And Matthew underscores that little snippet of history in his genealogy. Do you know why? Do you know why Matthew decided to highlight Judah? Because on that day, on his face, Jesus was the perfect picture, or I'm sorry, Judah was the perfect picture of you and me. He's the perfect picture of someone who deserves one thing and gets another thing. He's the perfect picture of someone who's going to get God's grace even though he has not made himself available to God the way he should have. Judah never broke. He never confessed. He never apologized. And suddenly at the pinnacle of this story, Joseph gives to Judah the opposite of what he deserved. And God decided to skip Joseph and to use Judah the unrighteous and it was through Judah that he would bring his son into the world. It's remarkable because that really is the point of the story of Christmas. That is the point of the story of Jesus. You and I are the point of Christmas. God came into this world to extend grace to people who don't deserve it. When you decide to find peace with God instead of trying to fix your past, you will come to the realization that it's not about what I've done. It's about what's been done for me. And when that sinks in, we will have peace with God. And it will begin to change us on the inside. Those are the men and women who find the grace to deal with the past and to forgive themselves. Those are the men and women who find the grace to heal broken relationships. Those are the men and women who find the grace to be able to move past habits that are destructive or bad. And see, that's really the point. I, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time when I'm teaching you and talking to you. I don't really tell you how to leave here and go live your life. I, I, if you'll really pay attention to what, the way I teach, I, I'm not, I don't lay out for you, do this, this, and this. I want you, here's what I want. 
I want you to come to Jesus. And I want Jesus to live on in your heart. And I want Jesus to change you from the inside to the point that when other people look at you, they see the change that has happened in your life since you came to Jesus. And if I can just go off script for just a minute, and this is not typical of me, but i got to say this. What kills me as a pastor sometimes is to watch us say one thing and say what we believe and let people know we go to church and that we love Jesus and we go to Cross Lane and yeah. And then we get on Facebook and we say things that quite honestly break my heart. We say things that say to the rest of the world, I don't know Jesus. Jesus isn't important to me. I go to church on Sunday, but he hasn't changed my heart. He hasn't changed my life. He hasn't changed anything else. When you come to a place where you get past your past and you stop trying to fix that and you just come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, do a work in me. Change me. Make me different. And you really pursue that, Jesus will change you. Would you do what Judah did? Would you be willing to say, I'm going to accept a gift that I don't deserve? Would you be willing? Because the, the genealogy goes on. In verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez. This, we go back to Matthew now, Matthew 1, verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez, that's our little boy, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Rahab had a nickname, didn't she? And do you know why Rahab is a part of the story? Because people like Rahab and people like Tamar and people like Judah and people like Matthew, and people like you, and people like me are the point of the Christmas story. We're the point. That God knows we're not perfect. And God used characters all through the lineage of Jesus to make the point. You can come to me. I love you. I'm going to accept you, and I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, that's grace, and I'm going to withhold from you what you do deserve, that's mercy. And God said, come. So this year at Christmas, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe the reason you've never given your life to Christ is because you've said, I'm not good enough. I don't belong in church with the rest of those other people. I don't behave like them. I'm not perfect like them. And we would all cry out, none of us are perfect. Come join us. Maybe this Christmas season is the time that you stop running from God and you stop trying to hide from your past and you just say, God, I'm going to accept forgiveness and mercy. I know I don't deserve it. But you offer it. And if you can put the rest of those rascals in your lineage, I want to be a part Maybe today's your day. If, when we're going to stand and sing in just a minute, if you've never given your life to Christ, consider doing that. Let's pray together. God.
it's quite humbling to think about the fact that we are who we are and we're so far from anything that looks like Jesus many times. And still you you found it within your grace and mercy to send Jesus. And this time of year we think about him as a baby and that's cool and all, but but he 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 would die for us. He did die for us. And, and what that means is that he conquered sin and death. He took my sin and shame on him. The Bible tells me that he literally became sin on my behalf. And if I think about that very long, that just kind of breaks me down. Because I do not deserve that. Lord, there's nobody in the room that deserves that. We know it. So Father, if there's somebody in this room this morning who has never bent their knee to you and said I want Jesus I want I want grace and I want forgiveness I pray that you'd move in their heart for the rest of us God we are just humbled and so thankful for this baby named Jesus it's in his precious name we pray